Verse 1, Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth, and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. You may be seated. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you ladies. Um, today is a day to honor mothers and I think ladies in general. I would like to uh, just thank my mother for her unconditional love and support, cheerleader as she is to me personally. And my wife, Gina, who is the mother of our six children. And I uh, want to thank you and recognize you for your selfless giving on uh, all of our behalfs. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. <clears throat> Would you like to be rich? Would you like to be wealthy? Do you want to have a lot of money? Very few of us could very honestly say, nah. Nah, it doesn't interest me whatsoever. A quote from the Reader's Digest. They say it's better to be poor and happy than rich and grouchy. But couldn't something be worked out, it continues. Something such as being moderately wealthy and just a little bit grouchy. Or as one comedian said, if money talks, whatever says he is, goodbye. Well, as Christians, we're aware, we know that the Bible has repeated and strong warnings about the dangers of pursuing wealth. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, familiar passage to us, warnings about the dangers of making the accumulation of wealth our goal or our intense passion. But many of us read portions like this, and again, if we're completely honest, we say, well, I, I could maybe handle that, or I would at least like to try. It sure seems as if more money, we seem as if more money would solve a lot of our problems, right? But we usually tend to forget that wealth and the accumulation of things actually adds. It can and does create problems of itself and of, uh, of its own. Well, in our text here today, 
James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. James has some of the strongest and the most biting words that you'll find anywhere in the book. And I think it's instructive to notice that it's saved for this class of people that he denounces as desirous to accumulate and to make um, themselves something. And uh, yeah, I just find that very instructive. As I looked at these words, and even perhaps the uh, words of the last sermon in chapter, end of chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, it sort of appears as if James takes on a little bit of a different tone. And I haven't been able to decide for sure if he's actually writing to people that are in the church, or if he is giving instructions for those inside the church by reminding them of people outside the church. Reminding people inside the church how life is like or tends to be outside the church. I, I haven't decided and I'm, I'm comfortable with kind of either one, I guess. But I think most, most uh, I would mostly lean on the side of, of James using this as an inst- a moment of instruction. Where he is talking, obviously, to people inside the church. But he's reminding them of the dangers and the problems that exist in the lives of people outside the church, and specifically those who are rich, which is our lesson for today. Rich people. Now James has already, at various points in the book here, given warnings about the dangers of pursuing wealth, and has reminded the people, the readers, us included, of who actually does bring oppression into their lives and into the world. And in that time, and maybe even in our time today, it tends to be people that are um, especially wealthy. And in that time, in that day, um, the accumulation of assets, such as uh, maybe they didn't trade as much in greenbacks like we do, they would have traded in terms of cattle or grain or clothing and such. So their assets were not so much um, what was in their bank or in their bank account, but literal physical assets that they had um, in their possession. A little different than today, but only, only a little different. Only a little. And the attitude that is behind and dominate, dominated their life back then can very easily be the same attitude that dominates our thinking today. <clears throat> I think one of the things that especially makes me think that James is talking about people outside the church as he's writing this is his strong uh, declaration of judgment that's pending to these people as if they are not believers. And then in verse 7, you'll notice when extending ourselves into the next text here just a little bit, he goes back and he says, Be ye therefore patient. Be ye therefore, or be patient therefore, brethren. And he goes back to that tone of voice where he again is addressing people inside the church. Again, you can have it either way and I'm not insisting that I'm saying it correctly. But James is clearly reminding us of three things, as I see in this passage, that James is 
is telling us. The purpose of this passage, I think, number one, is to remind us that God's righteous judgment is coming. He is encouraging those who have been or are now on the receiving end of abuse by those who are misusing their wealth. And he's bringing encouragement to those people by reminding us that there is coming a day when, when things will be made right. There will be a judgment coming. Secondly, the passage is given to us to warn Christians not to be envious or bitter toward those of great wealth. Don't covet their wealth is the, is the uh, point that making. Don't envy them. There's more to life than great financial uh, and wealth, the accumulation of property and such. James is saying, thirdly, that we need to be reminded that the way Christians understand and use, use wealth should be, or will be, would be more correctly stated, the way Christians view wealth will be different than unbelievers outside the church. <clears throat> Further, should warn us not to find sin. The Bible says bring judgment that God's hand and God's will be the, um, of people that goes on in our society and into society. <clears throat> the case that James is addressing, and it is easy when you're poor and oppressed. Think if I could just get rich, if I could just get out of the status social status, then I'm no longer with these problems. And James uses this as a teaching point, say, no, there are definitely problems that are associated with your We can be too wealth. We can be tempted to pursue the accumulation of asking that happiness lies at the other side. When actually, the point that is being made to the church, the Reese book, us included, is that wealth be a dangerous tra trap. And because of that, we should be careful not to use it any way, but rather to be faithful in whatever God has entrusted to us. And that is my goal for sermon. Help us see the dangers and the dangerous trap that can be wealth in the lives of the people that James wrote to, but in our day today. But it's most important for us to be faithful in the things that God has entrusted to us, the things that we've been given. And I think it's important for us to keep that in our minds. We've been given it. Something that comes from us, God to us, for a specific purpose and for a specific reason. And my prayer is that I would be able to find that and to use that way. <clears throat> I have three main points as part of the sermon today. Number one, wealth can be a trap that leads us to destruction. Secondly, we must be careful to use wealth in an ungodly manner. And our responsibility is to be faithful stewards. So I'd like to uh, transition to this sermon in, uh, in that way. First of all, wealth can change. The Bible does not teach anywhere that I could specifically find where the Bible teaches specifically that money in and of itself is evil. The Bible does not necessarily teach in and of itself that assets and having things is wrong. I think the Bible indicates, especially in the book of Proverbs and, and in other places, that it's wise for us, it's wisdom for us, to make the best use of our opportunities and to utilize what we've been given to, um, to the best of our ability. And that as, as we do that, 
the tendency is that accumulation happens. When we use godly principles, God chooses to give us more. And I should add, when we use godly principles faithfully and continuously, God chooses to give us more. That seems to be the theme and the indication of the Old and New Testament. But, however, the accumulation of money or mammon, as the New Testament calls it, especially in the Gospels, is an obvious, an obvious trap for us. And as human beings, we can very easily, very easily fall into sin as a result of that accumulation. And it's something that we need to continuously have our minds on. Money, in some ways, is like a loaded gun. It can be extreme, extremely useful in certain situations, but you've got to use it properly and carefully and wisely and aim it in the right direction so that it does not hurt others or so that you yourself don't get hurt. Or to use another analogy, money it can be like fire. In the right conditions, fire is tremendously necessary for our existence. But on the other hand, out of coal, it's a and a tremendous damage destroys property and life. And when combined with the fallen, greedy, such human heart, money can very easily, easily corrupt how we think and what we think about life. And that's true whether we have lots of sex or we have very I remember my served in Kenya. Lots had almost nothing. They, some of them barely had enough for that day. And their drive, their bent toward materialism, Father said, was just bad, if not more or worse, than our drive for materialism here in the United States. I'm just saying that we can fall in this trap whether we have lots or little. Chapter 16, verses 9. Interesting page. And I'll back up here just a little bit. In chapter 19, I have a slide of this. In Matthew chapter 19, the reader comes and asks about and asks what is needed. He's been keeping the law. He's been keeping But Jesus remarked two aspects of commandments. And it is that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, strength. The thing is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. Thou was doing pretty well with her. But he failed in the second part where he, was, where he refused to love his neighbor and give everything that he had. Give it away. And Jesus goes on to teach the disciples and us to the point were very astonished. And they said, who can be saved? If anyone has to be able to go through an eye of a needle to be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus replied by saying, with all possible. In other words, it takes the power of God in our lives. And I want to remind you at point here is that the best we have the power of God. We're, we're helping out of we're, we're helpless to try to find to use money properly, correct? Unless the power of God is at work in our lives, we're going to be from the dead selfish that are inherently bound up with wealth. <clears throat> As in Luke 16, Jesus is an incredible and teaching point where he gives, I believe it's a parable, the shrewd manager who was about to lose his job and things were badly for him and uses his and tons, yes, or he messed it, everyone will it. 
And he goes about to his Lord's people that, that owed his Lord money, their master money. And he goes about building relationships with these creditors or people who had money from him. And he puts their debts in half, I believe, as I recall. And in doing so, he established a chasm for the purpose of the master. This shrew manager created some very loyal um, followers. He established relationships. And I don't know what all implied by that, but it's interesting. He comes back and he applauds. Jesus, same. Again, I have figured this out entirely. But Jesus used that illustration to teach the disciples for time. And he said, we should make to ourselves friends of the man and us. That when ye say that, or when the mammonness fails, they, the people, may receive you in everlasting peace. And he goes on to say, that is faithful, and that was least. I'm sure that there's not only one thing talking about here, but I think it's especially noteworthy for me as I start to see that it's a context of it. seems kind of obvious to me that he's at least partially, if not mostly, about money. He's faithful in least, is also faithful in much with what I'd said earlier. It does not so much matter whether we have much or little. Our offense is what's required. If ye therefore, he says there in verse 11, if ye have not been the unrighteous man, who may true riches? And the parallel is that if we are on money, that we are also unfaithful in other things. And God, I remind you, does not ever reward unfaithfulness. Illustration ever in scripture or in our own lives where we are rewarded for being faithful in any area. Of I'm reminded right now of the phrase that I've heard John say many times where he says that a person that is wrong in money, usually wrong things. And a person that is right in money tends to be right in other areas of life. Or he said, and I think that is just as key. <clears throat> James now goes on and he shows us some ways that wealth can be up. That leads to our spiritual destruction. Ways to con- First of all, he says that bitch without God is to be short in light of eternity. James readers, and us today, James readers especially who were mostly poor and oppressed, might have been thinking, why, why are you righteous? What is the point of following God? Why, what, is the, what is the purpose of, being a, of being inte- um, have, using integrity in my business dealings? If all I get is a passion. Why not? Become like the wealthy people. Well, why not pursue wealth if it gets you some comfort? And James' answer is that there is judgment. You see, it is so easy. It is so easy for us to forget that our faith is not about here and now. It's not here and now. That's only part. That's only part. Life is about eternity. And how we today have rack-packed on the rest of our existence now and eternity if all we have is here and now or pursue pursue pleasure pursue comfort make it a, make it a passion of your life if all you have is here and now we'll talk about this more as we go but in verse one, three james begins by saying go to now or come on rich and miseries that come upon you your riches are corrupted your garments are moth-eaten your gold and silver is cankered weep and how, or another translation would be, uses the word sob. There's miseries coming, he says. James is making a forceful point that wealth is temporary. And if all we have is the here now, and sure, these people driving. But, however, judgment and eternity are ahead. That's what really, at least two, 
two stories of Jesus and the couples that make this point very clear. One of them is the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man who had a windfall certain years and he thing and his his idea was to spend the rest of his existence in, in luxury and and um, doing whatever pleased him and make it very really fool. He called him a fool, Jesus called him a fool for letting God out of the picture or keeping God out of the picture of his plan. The rich man Lazarus on the other hand, the rich man had life, everything that he needed everything that he needed. Lazarus on the other hand was destitute and needed everything. But after death the tables were turned. And the rich man discovered that he actually had nothing. And Lazarus discovered that he actually had everything. It's very instructive. For that reason, it is important for us to use life wisely. And to live life in light of eternity. In the same time, there were three many cases. And I've already referred to them. James used three terms of each. First of all, the word riches. And the word here that's used has the idea of things that are stored up accumulated and in that time and in our time as, as, as well you could say things as a replacement for the word rich just had the idea of things accumulation things stored up maybe it's food the food overabundance more than the person can even consume it could be other things that we collect for the savings so your riches have he said they've corrupted and that has the idea of mold or, um, yeah, deterioration of quality, that sort of thing. Secondly, there's clothing. In a world where most of the poor people, and even in a world poor people, may have only one change of thing, or only thing that they have on their backs at the moment. A sign of wealth, both in today and in them especially, was to have more than one change of clothing. It was a, it was a sign of blessing. It was a sign of royalty, and so on. James echoes here in this, where he echoes the word of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 19, where he says, to moth, moth and rust. Matthew chapter 16, chapter 6, verse 16 to 1. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt. Instead, lay yourselves and rust doth not corrupt, cannot corrupt. Again, instruction for it. Thinking about the big picture. And third, there was gold and silver. Jesus knew, of course, that there were metals that metal in general are not subject to corruption like many other things are in our lives. But he used that iron kind of point. God's judgment, James is saying that even precious metals will not hold up. Even precious metals will not be able to maintain value. Your gold and silver is good. I think it's the same word that you learned uh, language or English language such as gangrene or cancer or something that, that corrupts the whole or something that starts small and becomes bigger until it consumes. <clears throat> in verse 3, James continues and he doesn't mince words, does he? He says, you have heaped treasure for the last days. The purpose of accumulation usually Somewhere in the process, we're thinking, well, I'm going to need this someday. I'm going to save this. I'm going to store this. Or I'm going to accumulate this because someday I'm going to need it. Someday my children will need it. Someday it's going to be valuable, more valuable than it is today. And James points out that trap. And he says, you have heaped treasure for the last day, verse 3. It shall be a witness against you. 
Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. <clears throat> well, I don't know for sure if he's talking about the last days as in the days before Jesus comes back. But I think, I think at least partly of this uh, application would have to do with, for the day of death. Where we're heaping accumulation for ourselves. Think maybe the death. Something to pass on to our children. The last day. Death has to all of us. And Jesus found out he had lots stored up. Lots of things that were accumulated for the rest of his life. But that's all it was good for. The rest of his life was there. Required his life. To which without God. It would be short-sighted in light of. To be, to be passionate about wealth is to be thinking this life. Not be thinking about eternity. Secondly, being rich without God gives temporary but long-term misery. Ungodly mistake for themselves of discomfort. They thought they were making free of hardship. They thought that they were making life pleasant at that time through their wealth. And as the says, they're actually accumulating, they're accumulating hardship for the fact. Very thing tentative produces this same effect in our lives. We need to be reminded of that. The Bible says, provide for the necessities of our lives. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it mentions that if we do not provide for our own, that we're worse than an infidel. In other places in Scripture, especially in the Proverbs, and in also in the, in the Gospels at various points, Jesus gives instruction. And the Bible instructs us to do what we can to provide for ourselves and to take care of our needs, not only ours, but the coming generations. Not but However, not only things and, and stuff, but something bigger than that. And today, there's nothing wrong with trying to live comfortably, as comfortably as, as, as is moderately or reasonably possible. And we can do much. I think in some ways we have, in, here in the 21st century, we have more privilege and more opportunity to serve God well if we actually take it. We have modern labor-saving labor conveniences, such as washing machines and dishwashers and lawnmowers and computers and technology of all kinds. Even automobiles, I think, help us and give us the privilege of traveling at relative age. It should be for us to minister, to make our ministry greater. Of course, we can all see how these things can be where they begin to troll us instead of us. Computers are useful, tool, but it can be Many Christians waste more time with God, time with God, and relationship with Him, and time serving God. And James warning that it is possible to enjoy the cuts of this life while missing things even more important, important, and using those comforts. And those comforts actually come a snare or a trap for us. <clears throat> The third thing that we have here, being rich without God provides short-term advantage, but long-term loss. One of the things that nearly comes with wealth is a desire for power, a desire to control. As someone has said, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. And throughout old history, corrupt dictators have amassed amazing power. By using their amazing wealth, someone has called it the golden rule, where the person with the most gold rules. That is a temptation and a snare that go along with wealth and accumulation. 
And we need to be concerned about that in our own lives. The Bible in this text here talks about in verse um, verse um, Verse 4, 5, I'm sorry. You have nourished your heart. Some of the other translations use the word we have fattened off. Is the word that mother translates of farm, like hogs, chickens, or, or beef are being fat for food. And they're just eating up, gorging themselves, giving everything, you know, just thinking about what's next, what's good for them. In the process, they are becoming food for the owner. Farmers are familiar with And he uses that illustration wealthy and all of us that and don't and everything is like selves for. <clears throat> so while James did not specifically condemn wealth in message, his nation the ungodliness of the, in that class, that ungodliness that to connect itself is kind of implication for all. <clears throat> the second thing we want to talk about. Not only is wealth a dangerous trap that can and does lead to destruction, we need careful not to use wealth as in an ungodly manner. I've already read some of these. So Although there are far more dangers that James has listed here, he hits basically four uses, ungodly uses. And like I said, there are more. But first of all, he uses the other or just aiding for my sake, so that of lots. Hoarding is like a block sewer pipe or something, or a water pipe or something that a conduit is something that carries. That's what it's to be, I think. But hoarding is when that pipe, that conduit, that channel becomes blocked. Something blocks it, whether it's our mind process or something of that conduit. And in, in making that application to money, God gives us money so that it can be channeled to others. But to hoard is when something blocks the conduit. And we suddenly start to have a backup that is intended only for our use. Hoarding. In verses 2 and 3. Second thing, money. In verse... Or using things that are possibly legal, loopholes that are to keep money. In verse 4, he is usually talking to employers, where a person has hired. They've done the job, but the employer continues to hang on to the paycheck and says, I don't have to pay. I'm using my own words, but that's sort of what's implied there in verse 4. Cheating others out of money, just because he, <clears throat> he answers, um, verse 5, especially about blatantly, and um, verse 6, blatantly hurting innocent people or people who cannot defend themselves, exploiting their weakness with our money and with the things that we own. <clears throat> Behind is either the street or just lack of trust in God to provide for future needs. Hoard it gives a false security where we have lots of and it can easily cause us to think that God it and almost to the point where we don't even need heaven or need God. Because we have comforts in this earth. And the unhealthy accumulation of possessions 
is how some people seek worth. And that, and I'm guilty. I, I read in those, that's sort of how I live my life. Attach value to someone's stone how eventually. That's wrong. Hoarding women's possession fulfilled. Because the hoarder always wants more. He's content with this. He always wants more. Than they want, they need more and more. <clears throat> a quote I came across on that person, the last thing anyone wants is to end up having it all, only to realize that they have nothing. Let's not spend our lives collecting junk. You never need to the way to do it. Where your possession blessing others. Allowance, we should never be not to cheat people out of money. The text specifically mentions that God Almighty, which is the Lord of Sabbath, is the words you hear, and that's another word for Almighty. God Almighty pays attention. It's so interesting to me to know in the, in the law, the Jewish law, that defeated poor and protected those that were being violent or exploited, whatever. Leviticus 13 says, and is on about strangers in the land, giving back, making out that were under oppression in some way or another, who had losses in. <clears throat> and often in that means of today, they get on that day's pay. They got free today, and that was what they needed. And they came back to work the next day and got paid for them. And to withhold that pay is a cut that cuts off. God Almighty, again, it is ignored. And direct that money, one pays attention to that. Most of us are where some of us are. And if we are, we need to be just and fair. And if we're not the supplies, that it's all to cheat others, to take something from others that is theirs for our own potential, our own gain. Along with that, the Bible says that live in luxury, have indulgence. Verse 5 text. Living in bed, there's an addiction. You just hide, therefore, for more. <clears throat> and he's on to say, use um, the word, verse 6. Ye have killed, to be talking about. That's like speaking of you're looking at the pro outcome of what happened, where you finish other people for your own benefit, and you have their wages, and um, they live and, and function, that the word condemned, I point to you, did you know our lives are completely in America, they violate biblical and gospels, and we especially be concerned about that. Just because something legal doesn't mean that it's, or that it's especially true, when it's against people that are not in the system. You could have confronted the people Ames time. They may have said, what well, was completely legal. Didn't break any laws. They may have What is technically legal is not always more. It's not. <laughs> the third thing for us here today is to point to our responsibility to be faithful stewards. I've come back to this point again and again. And James does it, and I do it, with purpose and intent. This life, brothers and sisters, is not all there is. This life is not final. It is not all there is. Wicked people live luxuriously on earth. They oppress the righteous with seemingly no consequences. But the test, the test is on judgment day. That's where, that's where it comes, that's where it's about. And it requires faith to accept that. It requires faith to see wicked people who are seemingly prospering, make lots and lots of money, 
doing something that is completely wrong moral standpoint, or they're doing things in a cheap, um, snitching, living there seemingly having no immediate consequences. Life is not final. It's not all there is. If you trust in the Lord, let me require you to accept that is going to set things in order. Either trust in money that you have now, or you see he is God on about every right. It's in the Lord. If you, you are going to live a life, you are going to have to do And I remind you, God has given it to you. You're going, in a way, helps harm. The steward of the money and the possessions that God, he and all, and we live in a closet. God was more clear on this particular point. We give this that God had to us. We are conscious. We are given those around us. I was a parable in Luke 16 about a shrewd steward who was able to use money as to establish relationships. And Jesus gone there in that passage, like I pointed out from the beginning. The least and the little. At least part, at least part of Jesus is teaching us about and teaching the disciples, those who were in there. As being faithful in money, things was faithful in money. But to God, it's a little thing. It's a little thing that uses and illustrates something bigger, way beyond. Use and handing sons or the accumulation that would have been did. In the context, I think for eternal soul. And I challenge as I think about that. It got to true spiritual is the indicate that, that is for us in handling of money. Faithful steward. That's the lesson of the parable. And when we're faithful in managing the finances, the little that God has entrusted, he sees us as being able or qualified to manage much or manage the souls of people that God brings contact. I conclude that brings to our Number one, to just dump it again, poor to keep it in mind. Verse 7 goes in the next, at least in my outline, the next sermon, where it talks about being patient and suffering well because one day Jesus is going to come back. The husbandman waiteth for the, for the precious fruit, or he's waiting, the husbandman, Jesus, is waiting for the faithful activity that we are involved in, to harvest that. It's a reward for him. Goes along with the verse in, in, in verse 5. And the exhortation there is to, because there's more than this life. Just we have here and now. Those dangerous elements of Western culture is that much of Western culture has eternity built into it. There's no idea, brothers and sisters. Our whole life has changed. It completely changes our life. If there is no such thing, it can change about it. If there is no eternity, then perhaps it is only about here and now. And if there is no eternity, it makes it no, no difference how much I acquire or how much I accumulate in this life. If there is no eternity, then perhaps it is all about comfort I have and how much affluence and how much pleasure I have here now. Because there is no eternity, it is all about now. And I don't know how long it is or how long now will be. And that applies to all kinds of areas in our lives. Challenge is to live every day with forever in you. See, the commands of the Lord only make sense if we have in view. Only make sense if we have forever. The promises of the Lord only make sense if we have forever in view. 
The kingdom call that God has placed on our lives as Christians only makes sense if we have forever in view. Our money only makes sense if we have forever in view. Sacrifice on the other hand only makes sense if forever in view. Forgiveness and restoration of relationship only makes sense if we have forever in view. Holiness only makes sense if we have forever in view. It's a dangerous thing for us to forget that there is a forever. The last thing I have here is that wealth is a good tool if we're careful to use it as stewards for the Lord. Not used, not hoarded. Wealth to be generously shared, not selfishly endowed. Wealth to be handled morally, not maliciously. The idea of her um, sticking up ourselves, bring pyramid as, as it corporately. And you know, son, you can't live like this. If you have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty. If God is not in the seat and the throne of your life, you can't possibly live like this. You're going to live for your life. You're going to live for how much you can accumulate. You're really going to think that's the normal thing of Christ. And the call to all of us is to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. Claim him as Lord of your life, not only for here and all, but for eternity. Our life would be about sharing, about being about being conduits and channels through which our blessing that God has given to us be blessings for others. Our life is shaped by a functional and a practical mission to the will of the Son of God. I encourage us all to examine often our students, to be responsible, use our blessings wisely, to use the to bring a greater and a more bountiful heart to people. That are and won by our testimony. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 2. And then we'll come to prayer. 4 verse 2 says. It is required in stewards. That a man be found faithful. That is my responsibility. It is all of our responsibilities. To be found faithful. With what God has entrusted to me. That is my prayer. Let's kneel together and ask God to help us. <clears throat> Father, we come to you in that we are prone to fall into the snare. We are prone to fall into selfishness and part of all that goes along with material and accumulation. Father, I would our reminders to forceful reminders of, of our needing and what we have comes from you. I pray you would help us to be faithful, reliable channels for that. And as we go back from today, I pray that a lot would be notably and marked than unbelievers around us. And I thank you for the teaching that we have here today, and I pray that you would help us to use uh, your word and, and to remind us to channels of what you have called us to spread our resources, a way of bringing others into faithfulness in the kingdom. And we pray for your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Whatever situations are in our lives, whether it's a business owner or whether it's a problem or whatever, we pray that your would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you again for your blessings, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.